0: Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast where in four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, uh, or, or this season, we've been working our way through Degrassi, The Next Generation, but today we're taking a break for a bonus episode and talking about the 2000 movie Center Stage. Um, before we start, a couple of things. Um, spoiler alert. There, we're not going to recap the the movie, but we are going to talk about the full plot of the movie. So there. We'll be spoiling the whole thing. Sailor alert! We usually say a dirty word or something. Um, but more seriously, uh, a content warning um, for our discussion: uh, there are depictions of and discussions of disordered eating in the movie, and we will be uh, we will be discussing these. Uh, I'm Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor of Asian American and Pacific Literature, who also Loves and teaches film and cartoons and and other nerdy things.
1: I'm Jacenza. I'm assistant professor of English. I study television, film, and pop culture. Teach classes in that area, as well as writing, digital media, and literature.
2: I'm Slanet Gabbard. I'm a professor in Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies and Peace and Conflict Studies. And I focus primarily on transnational, global, queer sexuality studies and transnational feminist studies. I also teach an array of feminist studies courses.
3: I'm Brendan, I'm an English professor. I teach in the humanities department. I teach composition courses and classes in African-American literature and gender and sexuality studies.
0: All right, so, As we start today, we want to let everyone know that at least as of the time of this recording, um, Center Stage is streaming for free on Netflix. So if you haven't watched it and you want to watch it before, you get into this episode um, go take a look at it we're again not doing a full recap but I will say that the description on Netflix says vying for a spot in the American ballet company 12 dance students are ready to push their bodies and minds to the limit to realize their dreams and there's a whole lot to unpack there and uh, and we can get into that all right so this is a movie
2: should we preface this on why we chose this movie
0: sure yeah Uh, We chose this movie
1: because we have a semi-regular streak of watching teen classics, predominantly from the 90s and early 2000s so far. So if you've listened to earlier episodes, we've watched The Craft and Can't Hardly Wait, um, and we have many more on our list,
3: and Center Stage was amongst those and this also, I think, I mean, within that time period, we've kind of done like the, I mean, It Can't Hardly Wait is like the party slash all the social groups together movie. Like it's that kind of movie. The craft is very much of this like late nineties magic occult plus hormones genre. And this is very much of this crop of dance movies that are going for like a certain kind of realism.
0: Yeah, the dance movie slash try hard movie. I think I didn't see this when it came out. I didn't see it till grad
3: school. The one I saw was like three years later is The Company, which is a Roger or Robert Altman movie, which is just about the Joffrey Ballet. So similarly, one of the things if you've watched uh, Center Stage, right, is that they're trying to get into an actual ballet company that exists. And so much of the cast is from that ballet company, with the exception of, Some of the central female leads, but almost all of the male leads besides uh, Peter Gallagher are actual dancers for that company. I believe
1: Peter Gallagher was hired for his eyebrows. Oh,
3: for sure. I mean, Peter Gallagher is a sensual daddy dream. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Always. This is three years before the
0: OC. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Those caterpillars are doing like very heavy lifting on that on that brow. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
2: They're simulating the lifts and kicks that each doing,
0: right? Wow. Oh, We're digging amazing. deep in here in the, that blaping podcast.
3: I do think these movies also often do a thing where they have a very good cast of like, quote unquote, adults, like the, the like people in charge are usually mm-hmm. pretty good actors. There's like. Select- all the all the people that teach all the classes. Peter Gallagher runs the company. Are, sta- you know, stage and film actors that are sort of like journeyman actors that do a good job. And the woman who plays Maureen's mom, mm-hmm,
0: who's like mm-hmm.
3: ultimate stage mom who mm-hmm, works in the mm-hmm. company, is also like you know an NYPD blue actress. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a good and then on the flip side, you have the actual dancers, like the guy who plays Charlie and the guy who plays uh, Cooper, and then the like people who are getting their break, like a young Zoe Saldana.
1: Okay, speaking of the guy who plays Charlie, though, I just want to read you because I looked up people while I was watching the movie for like the 9 millionth time in my life. I own this movie on DVD, okay? I've watched it a lot. I was
2: waiting for you to say that.
1: <laughs> and I looked up Sasha Renetsky mm-hmm. and this is what it says in the description for him. <clears throat> Tall, built, handsome, and striking, but as graceful as a man his size can possibly be, <laughs> Sasha Renetsky has had a traditional dance history up until the new millennium, Radetsky is not only a skilled and gifted dancer, but also a heartthrob and sex symbol in his own right. Oh, <laughs> oh my. So, just so we're clear
0: <laughs> I mean, the in his own right totally undercuts everything, even though like <laughs> it's like he's doing he's doing all right, you know, like as well as he could hope. I mean,
3: I do think all him and Cooper they both are, like, the camera really lingers on them, right? I was Definitely. struck this time by how much the women are in sexual, like, situations. There is obviously the dance at the end that Cooper puts together where Jodi's character is, like, Jodi is in her bra and panties. But the the camera's really obsessed with the asses of the men and the dance belts and their bodies, yeah. right? Like. I was thinking a lot about like these movies. I think the target audience seems to be women and gay men, right? It really does seem the way it's put together. Yeah. I I was just struck by that. I don't remember that from the first time, but there's a lot of shots that just like go behind these men and zoom in on their asses.
2: Well, and there's also various moments where they, like, it's an ongoing joke, gay or straight, like, Oh, why doesn't he, you know, why isn't he available? Like, Oh, I'm, Speaking from Eric, the only out character in the show, he's constantly saying, like, why wasn't Charlie like me? And everybody's like, well, because Charlie's straight. Also, when we meet Charlie, they're very much invested in letting us know that Charlie is straight. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a whole dialogue about that. Charlie is very invested in his own straightness. Well, that's because...
0: Eric immediately flirts with him too. Right.
1: And so Charlie clarifies um, that he had a girlfriend in Iowa or Idaho or somewhere of that. I would get there. I would get there eventually. We were close geographically. And then later on when the girls who haven't met Charlie yet, the, the ones who aren't new girls, when they see him the first time, they also ask if he's gay or straight. So it seems like the implication is supposed to be that many of the guys are gay.
3: Even though we only meet one right? and he gets hurt so that they can stage this like dance battle for Jody Sawyer. Right. Right. Which is, I think the most interesting thing, nar- one of the most interesting things narratively is that there's a whole other storyline that is like high, like entirely submerged between Cooper and Peter Gallagher's character and clearly the dance sequence is actually about that but they never express it they like they like there's a little like breadcrumbs throughout the film which i think makes the end much more interesting for me because it's so clear she's not gonna choose Cooper.
2: Cooper's not choosing her either. Well, she okay. She does <laughs> choose Cooper though. Because she chooses so the whole goal of the movie is for Jody to get into the American ballet, into ABC. She's the whole time, she's like, My feet suck, la la la. And then at the end she decides instead of getting into the American Ballet Company, she's gonna go off with Cooper to start his new experimental ballet company and be the principal there. So even though she doesn't end up being with him because he quote unquote sucks as a boyfriend, which we can talk about, uh, she does end up choosing him for his her career, which mm-hmm. I was really upset about because i was like so you're just signing up for a, a career's worth of sexual harassment from your creepy boss now like <laughs> that's what you're doing
3: well i think that part of what i saw is submerged here is the implication that at one point peter gallagher's character was also a cooper right that's how i read the whole dance thing at the end and that's why charlie is it's charlie v cooper and charlie seemed to me so clearly to be a Peter Gallagher. Tackle. Well, he is
0: explicitly cast as the quote unquote director of a ballet company, and so in in the beginning yeah. of the choreographed piece, he is walking through quote unquote classroom full of women who are at the bar, and till he like picks out Jody from the lineup. Which,
3: of course, he never actually does in the movie, right? Because there's a different teacher who teaches. Like he doesn't teach classes, right? And also,
1: Charlie is in fact not a jerk. So, yes.
3: Charlie, Charlie is is adorable. He's adorable.
2: I couldn't remember his name, so in my notes I kept writing Schmidt because I think he looks like Schmidt from New Girl. <laughs> Max
3: Greenfield. Yeah, so uh, I Max, Greenfield. Max Greenfield. Yeah, he has pretty he has prettier eyes than Max Greenfield, but they have a similar look for sure. Yeah,
2: I'm into it.
3: Yeah, that dance sequence at the end that Cooper put together is so fucking long Yeah, and
0: like... There are a million costume and hair changes. First of all, we need to
1: talk about how much it would have cost to get the rights to play Michael Jackson in your dance sequence Uh, because I I feel like (laughs) that had to be expensive. Like, yeah. it's, and it's,
3: how much it would cost to, in mid-sequence, cornrow your hair.
0: <laughs> and also <laughs> change your toe shoes, which uh, would take forever. Like, there, the costume changes and the, I mean, like, when she's in her undergarments, like, she is not in tights. So, like, she was in tights, got out of tights, and then got back into tights, back into a leotard, <laughs> back into, like, toe shoes and different colored toe shoes it's it's a lot
2: and not just her but all of the chorus too the dancing chorus also had cornrows and new new costumes and new well, shoes well theoretically
0: they could be different dancers like if, i i don't i didn't oh. check to see if they were the same dancers as were at the bar in the opening but they they that could be done other ways but like Jody is principal for sure
3: I think the reason that the costume changes really stand out to me is like the end is becomes very magical. It's very like musical, like in a musical movie where like things happen that aren't real, but the rest of the movie has this investment in like cinematic realism. It's like at the beginning, when we see all the shit they do to their shoes to get their shoes just right, obviously with like given like what we content did the content warning at the beginning, the sort of disordered eating and the way that that's dealt with. And just the sort of brutalism that kind of bubbles up. So just the end was so like right. magical. We
2: also see backstage too at one point when Jody goes to watch Cooper backstage. So we also get to see behind the scenes of, of the ballet too.
3: Yeah, and there's all like the people who set up, like the people on the walkie-talkies starting the show and all that. And then, yeah, then there's this sort of weird switch to- I
1: feel like there must've been some kind of ballet movie packed. At some point, to always show ballet dancers' feet at some point. Yeah. Because they do that and save the last dance, too. Like, you must see their brutally torn up feet yeah,
0: from I, ballet. I, I put mandatory ballet film foot and toe shoe montage.
2: <laughs> uh, we don't see a lot of stretching, which I was like, wait, how did they go from their feet to stretching to no stretching? I don't know. They're doing like
0: splits and stuff a little bit, like at, at some points.
3: They talk about warm ups a lot, but we never get to see it. They're always like, Did you warm up? We did warm up. Because warm up is boring. I will say, in the middle, in spite of all that, in the middle of the movie, there's a place where there's like it's like five minutes of montage, which is the Wait, most
2: boring part. Wait, are you talking about the ballet parts? <laughs>
0: No, I don't no, I like the ballet for me. Can, can we pause for just a second and, and linger over the magical quality of the final thing? And so, like, it felt most to me like the sequence in Singing in the Rain, the Sid Charisse sequence, where, um, like yep. in that lineage in in singing in the rain, we see all of the sort of like choreography and the practice and stuff in some places, and then we get the dance sequences that are are kind of spontaneous and stuff like the one where they're at the diction coach, uh, the two men, and then the good morning sequence. But then like the Sid Charisse is so out of character with all of the other ones, because we do have this like fantasy, this thing where the the long uh, scarf is flowing behind her. And then this moment where like, we get this uh, scene cut in where there's the kind of like mob boss, like, and so like, I don't know, I, I felt like, even though like, it does feel out of place in this film in center stage, like, I think that there's a way in which like it is in a larger conversation with some of the other dance films, like its predecessors, there is a certain sort of like logic to it in that regard, even though they always feel out of place.
1: I also think it's like in the lineage of like teen movie endings where you're supposed to suspend reality and assume that everybody is either knows some sort of dance or is all like this thing is also happening in one fluid moment so like as you as the audience are just supposed to not consider like the the ramifications of what would have gone into putting on this production
0: like she's all that the is it is it she's all that where usher is the dj at the prom and they're all dancing yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah. Never been kissed
1: as a... and She's All That, they added Usher as the DJ, saying that they learned that dance in gym class because mm-hmm. they realized that it was ridiculous for everybody to be doing this dance at the
0: end. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
3: I think the, the Jody sequence is also... It's even more sort of fantastical because the Ava sequence where she takes Maureen's part is magical but it's like realistically magical i thought i loved the way that was staged with the lights and the stuff that when we saw it in rehearsal seemed Mm -hmm. boring like i thought was more interesting with the lighting and everything but it maintains like a real realism the other thing with the jody sequence is the final like there's not the jamiroquai song but the song before it the rough ends one is like shout out to the rough ends <laughs> yeah singing singing a diane warren song oh i was like this would not have been included in this performance the other three songs made sense that was when i was like this is for a teen audience because this is not something that this man in his 20s would have chosen for this perform. like i was like i this for some reason that was too far <laughs> sonnet said she found the ballet, boring. Well, disclosure,
2: I, I'm, not a ballet I'm not a ballet person That that is totally the limitation from uh, from my perspective. I am I'm a trash person.
3: (laughs) No, I mean, I I found I liked. I I think what helped for me was that the dancing was good for the most part, and so like the men and even like Zoe Saldana. And to some extent the Jody, they're very dynamic to watch. Like you can tell they're good. Like I think with movies about people who are actors or singers or dancers, you have to like always decide like how do we show you someone is good doing a thing that you're supposed to see live. And I thought for me, generally I bought when I was supposed to see someone Definitely. Who's good or bad. And
2: I think the the dance battle between Cooper and Charlie slash Schmidt. Is the best is also a great moment where we're supposed to also see that they're both fantastic dancers.
0: The dance battle
2: yeah. that's in the in the rehearsal space yeah. or the dance yeah. battle when they want to do the flittering leg jumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the technical name for it. I it's, know. Well, because I thought that was
0: much more compelling than what ended up in the choreography for the final. <laughs> uh, yeah.
3: The final piece is masturbatory. Like, I thought, I actually thought what was good about it was, I thought it was way too long, but it also was very Cooper. I was like, this is too long because you allowed yourself to dance too much. Like, you shouldn't, it's a bad choreographed piece because you're dancing too much and we can all tell. And at a certain point, I was like, does Charlie ever dance For in real, though, uh,
1: if we remember that Cooper is supposed to be Eric, then maybe it isn't as weird True, because the part that cooper's doing would have been
0: eric if eric hadn't gotten injured but would eric have driven a motorcycle onto onto the stage i don't know (laughs) we don't it it doesn't seem like there's
1: much time between when eric gets injured and when they have to do the show so i don't know like what preparations you have to do to get a motorcycle backstage in a
2: ballet. Like, I don't know how much adjusting you can do (laughs) at that point. I like the idea of Eric getting like a cutout prop motorcycle and then (laughs) 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 Cooper takes over. He's like, fuck that. I'm bringing the real shit.
1: I just also want to interlude here and say I just looked up the rough ends. Um, cause I wanted to see something and the name of the album that if I was the one appears on, is called love crimes. Oh, <laughs> so. That's a, that's a, that's well, a can we shit. talk
0: about the music in this for like a, a few minutes? Because there's some real choices going on. And there's great music, Kwai and Mandy Moore doing some heavy lifting throughout yeah. the yep. soundtrack
2: seriously
0: yeah the opener of jamiroquai's cosmic girl i just wanted to say that like i never owned an album by jamiroquai but like they definitely were my gateway into funk music like i which is i think a wild oh, thing to say but
2: and a brave thing that's a very brave thing to say <laughs> Like I th- no, but like I would not,
0: I would not listen to J have ever like listened to James Brown. If it, like, I, cause I mean, it came out when I was like 12, that album, their first album came out when I was 12. So like, I did not have like much access to funk music before, but like I was, it, 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 it's a whole lot. I recognize that, but I did appreciate the the moment and it was like Jumeirah Kwai was very, very popular at this time. And so it was interesting to see that as the frame because I mean, like, that is the beginning and then at the very end. And so it's like, that's just, mm-hmm. that's that's a lot.
3: And there is like the, I really want to take that uh, dance class to mm-hmm. Candy. Oh my God.
2: Listen. It was so and, awful. Um, I think it was a Zumba class.
1: Mandy,
3: yeah, Mandy no, Moore is
1: making bank on teen movie soundtracks. Candy was doing its job, okay.
3: <laughs> so, I when I was in college, I saw Mandy Moore in concert, and she only performed one song from her like pop this pop era, and it was Candy. And she introduced it with like a lot of self-deprecation. Yep, that
1: sounds right,
3: and but it was the only song she did i mean i just loved that it was that and then they go on the motorcycle ride and it's also the mandy i want to be with you like her top yeah her top charting song which charted for like what 16 weeks or something true
2: story i loved that song and i was not i mean at the time that this came out i was senior in high school and i was very much invested in my punk aesthetic and the whole you know posturing but i fucking loved i want to be with you i would listen to it secretly
1: (laughs) i mean personally i prefer the songs from a walk to remember more than the songs from sinner's age but that's neither here nor there
3: i listened to both (laughs) a lot very recently recently i i yes i preferred the ones i really like the song on this album that i thought was mandy moore but is actually pyt which is the and we're dancing Mm. song and it feels all right um yeah, so we talked about music. I mean, we talked a little bit about Eric. What about Eric? I mean, what about the what about the non-romance that Okay, before we get into Eva? that,
1: can I just say that Eric's in one of his introductions is my stage name is Eric O'Jones after <laughs> Oprah, she is my <laughs> idol.
0: Yeah, it's so. Good. I was like, yes.
1: OK, well, if we weren't going to tell you that he's gay, here's your big gay <laughs> signal. <laughs> uh, no. But we're also going to tell you he's gay over and over again. And he's also brown, like the brown girl. So the brown guy and the brown girl are going to be this brown not couple, um, which I mean, for teen films, which usually only had like one brown person around this time, maybe two, if if you were lucky, um, this this is probably like they get to do more here than some of the other ones.
2: So true, and they get they get to have more of a familial relationship, probably the most supportive mm-hmm. platonic relationship, and and it's really healthy and really believable. Again, mm-hmm. back to that realism side of it. More so than Jody and Ava's relationship, which just seems like a convenient relationship for both of them. They're roommates. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, the Ava-Eric uh, relationship is healthy, in, except for the fact that everybody smokes in this movie. And like, I... I'm always shocked by watching movies from around this time where it's like everyone is smoking indoors. And I just, I remember that that happened, but it is, it is so far outside of the And I think that this has come up on in our podcast before, but it just, it is always so shocking to me to see it again.
3: Well, not everyone smokes, right? Because, so the thing that's interesting about Ava and Eric is they're obviously not white. But it's never, no one ever mentions it narratively. But their coat right there called, I lost track. At one point, Ava is called Trash by Maureen's yep. mom. When she swears, they say, this isn't the subway. Someone talks about her being at the streets. Yeah. And then also her smoking. And so it's this interesting push-pull of like, part of it is she's a really interesting character who is has put a chip on her shoulder preemptively because of where she comes from but then the movie also is like trying to deal yeah. with her so i like that conversation with her and eric where they have that familial thing you're talking about and they talk about being okay or not being okay together yeah. which i thought was like really well written and interesting saying a lot Yeah, it's one of those it.
1: things where like the we know that these two people are obviously people of color but we're not going to talk about it but we're going to make them different in ways but not really directly talk about it um so obviously in the way that we see ava you know her introduction in the movie is is different she has her squad of people that she's hanging out with at the start of the movie who are also people of color she has a sort of accent she doesn't really seem to want to show that she cares about ballet she definitely doesn't come from this quote unquote, upper class background that Maureen has. She's not prim and proper like Maureen. So they're definitely sort of setting her apart in in those ways, but also not going to specifically say this woman of color has like racial, ethnic sort of differences here because we're we're not gonna talk about that directly.
3: I mean, I do think it's nice that the way the movie ends, she's not the one who does the like half ballet, half contemporary thing. I think a lot of movies from this time often give the person of color or the poorer person this like, like a la uh, Julia Stiles in Say the Last Dance, where it's like, the only way I can express myself is to mash up the contemporary with this Whereas her character is like the better ball, like just is a better ballerina uh-huh. than Maureen, who's like the groomed, supposedly perfect one. As I, I just felt I was thinking at the end, like a different movie would have had that, like Michael Jackson. Let's do all kinds of things. Go to an Ava character and be like, well, this is who I really am but who she really is is just a really good ballerina. Probably that. we should also talk a little bit about Maureen because yeah. very
1: clearly she does not want to... I mean her whole role in this is her mom, you know, grew up wanting to be a ballerina and her mom didn't have the skills to do it. So she's groomed Maureen to be a ballerina and her mom even works there at the company. Um, And so Maureen's under constant pressure to be the perfect ballerina, but then she gets this working class med school boyfriend and suddenly (laughs) things start to change, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought there was a, the class stuff is interesting because they make it very clear when they go bowling, right? There's this sort of like the bowling scene. To me, was supposed to I thought like this. There's like a lewd story. The way they're mm-hmm. dressed, the like all of that I thought was interesting. The way they're folding in stuff, but because it's a teen movie, there's like a lot of these things they're like at the edges of, and they're not going to mm-hmm. say it all the way because. There's, like, a lot going on. and I mean, I wrote down the quote. So, if we're talking about Maureen, I mean, we were talking about, like, sort of her stage mom presence. Like, she's, like, literally works there. Um, but at the end, when they have the sort of confrontation, so Maureen's mom comes to the show. Ava is dancing Maureen's part. Maureen's mom, like, is... Re- both embarrassed and upset. I think she's embarrassed because her friends expect to see her daughter and she's upset because she's sort of some way the classic stage mom from a film or a TV show where she's trying to act something out through her daughter that she couldn't achieve. And when she confronts Maureen, the thing she said, the thing Maureen says is you didn't have the feet. I don't have the heart. And I think one of the more interesting relationships that is sort of hinted at, and we only kind of see at the end is Maureen and Ava who are sort of at odds unspokenly throughout the movie until the end when Ava, who is the like city kid without money, like feels it. And Maureen is trying to force herself to feel it. And part of that is this body image narrative that is played out both through her and through the other girl who is just kicked out.
2: Emily. but, but it's also, I mean, <laughs> I, I forgot that I hated this movie until <laughs> very, and, and maybe we can splice in the audio of me realizing that I hated the movie that I sent you guys that video of. But one of the reasons, and it wasn't until I'm watching it and I, Tiffany and I did the Netflix party that I was like, oh yeah, I hate this movie because as a person who's lived with and battled eating disorders pretty much my entire adult life. This movie is very ambivalent when it comes to like actual body acceptance, because right. Emily, Emily, there are fat jokes throughout the the movie mm-hmm. about Emily being too fat. She gets kicked out for being too fat. And then we are taught that body dysmorphia and body image and disordered eating is bad through Marine's character of having bulimia. But then we still see one emaciated. I mean, smaller than regular ballerina actresses mm-hmm. um, throughout the film. We never talk about Zoe Saldana being also very underweight. So there's this imagery of um, extremely thin actresses and ballerinas. And then there's also no modeling of like healthy healthy eating habits too. So we're supposed to know that it's bad to be bulimic, but we also don't know, we don't see any sort of demonstrative, I guess, instruction on how to maintain a very trim body physique, but still do it without uh, restricting eating. Cause also Jody right. also talks about her own body image stuff. Well, because
1: Peter Gallagher's character says she doesn't have the right body type, to which I would say like, <laughs> So what are we looking for here <laughs> right
0: yeah well, and so two things I think that the Jody point is interesting, but I also have a, a point about the moms, which is okay, so like the Jody thing is interesting because at the very beginning when she is auditioning, like the common the sort of running commentary of the people who are judging are. She like her technique is awful. She's got bad turnout, and but then someone says, "But look at her!" And we're not entirely. It's so it's so vague and uh, it's so unspecific. Okay, so are we looking at? her face as like, she's a beautiful girl or are we looking at charisma? Are we looking at like passion and performance? Are we looking at her body? Like it's, it's, it's very unclear, but there, we're supposed to understand that there is something appealing about her, even though we understand also throughout the film that she has the wrong body type. But then also Maureen's mom is, is very controlling of her daughter. And part of the way that we see this is, through this sort of like triangulation against Emily, who uh, Maureen and her mom have this conversation about. The implication is that like her mom isn't worried, like she's not worried about Emily. She doesn't see Emily as a threat to Maureen's position and, and chance at getting into the company precisely because of like her, because of her weight. But then we get this contrasted against Emily's mom, who we meet when Emily is kicked out. And her mom is very specific and says that what the Peter Gallagher says about says about Emily when he kicks her out is unacceptable, uh, unacceptable, and that you girls are beautiful. And I forget what else she says, but I mean, she like we have just this one moment where like is all of the film's moral sort of um, center about disordered eating and and body dysmorphia and accept body acceptance, like hinging on just like this 30 seconds that this woman has. Um, and it, it just doesn't seem to balance enough, th- like this sort of like constant message that the film has.
1: She says something like, uh, don't let people make you feel bad about yourself or something like that. Right.
3: right. Early on in the movie, I wrote ideal body type in my notes and then i wrote is the movie pro or anti this because they use that phrase so many times i think jody is interesting to me because jody we were talking before about like lineages of like showbiz movies jody is imported from an older version of this movie where there's like the naive ingenue but that's butting up against the fact that uh, Zoe Saldana and also the woman who plays Maureen are, I just think, better actresses and yeah. more charismatic mm-hmm. and more interesting on the screen mm-hmm. in their respective roles. And so the movie is trying to like balance its impulse to be the one movie, which is about this white woman who's attractive plane in like Hollywood speak who just stumbles into this world and no one thought she'd make it. And she's making, there's the good guy and the bad guy and the bad guy. See, right? Like, and like, it's kind of creepy, but that's just what showbiz is like. And that's sort of at odds with the movie's other impulse, which is like this inner city woman of color who really wants to do a kind of dance that we don't expect her to want to do, but is really good at it. And this woman who has this domineering mother and is trapped in this eating disorder. Like, It's like trying to do all these things. And I think earlier we talked about like with the two characters of color, the sort of family space that the film sets up. I think there it balances its desire to be very formulaic with the ability to let stuff come through. I think in the body image stuff, if we want to call it that, or disordered eating, It's like trying to do both things and it just doesn't because, and I think on top of it, because they're using so many people from an actual ballet company that is the kind of ballet company that other parts of the movie want to critique. It's so like, it can't do both. Like the scene when the like med student confronts Maureen about the eating disorder is cringy but also wants to be an interesting scene where someone is just like, I don't know what to tell you, but I was also like, I'm it's too bad well, these aren't think her friends.
1: Also though, so something that we see a lot in movies that depict ballet and gymnastics are issues with like body image, right? Because there are very particular yeah. body types that are sort of deemed desirable for gymnastics and ballet, right? And so I think part of this is also, if we go back to that conversation, the idea of realism in the movie, is like the line of where do you go for realism or where do you try to sort of morally correct what may be an actual real, Mm -hmm. depiction right because we can imagine that if this was real life that in fact these people would actually be told these things about their body because we know that this does in fact happen with ballet and gymnastics and things. so like part of that is also thinking about what is the movie's role in terms of like sticking to that realism or trying to sort of reframe the messaging around it
2: yeah i think there's another side of it too though yes absolutely this is a reality of the dance world and really any sort of performance-based world or athletics right but the thing that i have a problem with and have always had a problem with with this movie is there's there's no productive discussion about food as also fueling the athlete fueling Mm -hmm. the ballerina Mm -hmm. and so that's the other thing because i mean we all know maybe not all of us, but those of us who know dancers know that they're incredibly in tune with what their body needs to perform and they treat their body as any athlete treats their body in terms of understanding what it needs to do the job, right? Right. So that's the part for me that was, that feels the most ambivalent, right? The movie Mm -hmm. is critiquing it, but then it's, we get to see how the ballerinas set up their shoes, how they deal with their feet. Um, maybe not so much stretching and warming up, but we, and then we see the, the critique about food, but we don't see a productive conversation about food either.
0: Right. I mean, because, because like an athlete needs like many more calories a day, you know, because they're exercising for like eight hours a day at least. And then recreationally, they're going to a salsa club to dance after.
2: Right.
0: Well, they get, they get
1: margaritas there. That's some kind That's, of fuel.
2: Which I think is the only time we see them drinking any liquids, too. Like, again. Yeah,
3: I, I. well, you saying that, on it reminds me that both times I've seen this movie, this time and the first time, there's, once we learn that Maureen is throwing up her food, right? So we learn that in a couple different places. There's a scene where we see her do it alone. There are three different times where the guy she's dating overhears it. Uh, most like dramatically when she's stayed over to his place. And then we, alongside that, we start to see the, this narrative in the choreography where they're saying like, Maureen, your head's not in the game. Both times I watched this movie, I assumed she was going to pass out. Some Like the sort of one way to do this narrative that we've seen if we want to actually entirely deal with it is that there's a consequence if you are an athlete or a dancer to not giving yourself fuel, which is you reach a limit. And the limit here is only ever social.
1: But so one of the things we do learn is that the company does have a nutritionist, but we only learn that in the context of Emily, whose diet they want to quote unquote correct Mm -hmm. because they believe she's gaining too much weight. Now, I mean... Again, ballet by ballet standards, um, whatever. But Emily is one of the only characters we actually see enjoying food, right. really. Right. Which is, we see her go for a fruit tart when Jim offers them fruit tarts, um, after, uh, their sh- after a show thing they're at, and Maureen points out how many calories are in it, and Emily more or less rejects Maureen's commentary on that front. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's only brought up that uh, Emily should be someone who sees the nutrition. I think
3: it was this time around too, this, my expectation that we would see physical symptoms was perhaps placed there partially because a couple episodes ago, we discussed the wrestling episode on Degrassi mm, where mm-hmm. Toby is trying to make weight and he is, like, doing all these sort of disordered eating things, and there are are both mental and physical consequences, right? This movie rolls all those consequences into, because they have the character also not enjoy what she's doing, all the mental consequences are written off in the movie as a result of her heart not being in it, and there's never any, like, Like, maybe her heart's not in it, and she can't focus because she's fucking hungry, right? Like, maybe it's both, right? And so, yeah.
1: I think also, like, we're supposed to interpret, you know, that she's been doing this for a long time, right? Like, this isn't something that just sprung up this year. This has been an ongoing role in her life. And her mom is aware of it without actually wanting to acknowledge it. So we see that come up in their final confrontation. Maureen mentions, you know, how she's been starving herself and her mom's like, oh, well, you watch your weight and that's good. And she's like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying here. And you know, that's not what I'm saying here, but you don't want to deal with this.
2: Right, we have a moment where, and I do appreciate that the show has Maureen say, I'm sick, Mm -hmm. because I think that is an intervention, especially around talking about eating disorders as a sickness, right? But we don't, (laughs) again, we don't see then what's, what is the opposite of the the Mm -hmm. sickness? It's the healthy, and we just don't see what healthy is.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought the language around illness, which also comes up in the conversation with the doctor, was the place the closest like the satisfying is not the right word, but like the place where I was most comfortable with the film's attempt to depict this as more than just like a like a tick or like a just like an obvious thing that's gonna happen. and so when she uses that language at the end of sickness, I was similarly like, yes, thank you. Somebody does ask her
1: if she's okay or something. Yeah at the end, and she says, not, not yet, or not really, or something like that, which I thought was also good, because they didn't just try to act like, oh, yeah, she's over this hump of having an eating disorder, and everything's
3: good now, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, and this is because this is, I'm thinking of the way that Sonnet often reads, like, our Degrassi episodes, there is a way in which the, like, Ending, where in the credits we see everyone's afterlives, and she's in college. I think is what we're supposed to interpret that as. Suggests that it was a personal problem that was resolved by leaving by leaving dance. She's the only person who has removed themselves from dance, and obviously dance is perhaps a trigger. And I think that that's what we're supposed to understand that debate with her mother to be about. But it doesn't resolve like all those other people are still in the situation and it's made it a situational problem and as well as an individual problem that's just like, oh, I just leave dance and it's fine.
2: Right so Jody is still going to hear the rest of her life that she doesn't have the right body type right like cuz that's the thing we again when we individualize a problem we don't look at the structural parts of it right mm-hmm. but then also there are parts where the film doesn't a pretty good job at least acknowledging what's happening but i do get i really do get bent out of shape about how it just turns into little plot points instead of a larger again a larger problem mm-hmm. a larger pathology right because we are going to pathologize behavior by saying Marina is sick we also have to look at what what is causing it right it's not just the mm-hmm. symptom of but but the root causes and that's right maybe a bigger thing they they don't want to tackle
1: yeah I also forgot how long this movie was before I started watching, which, I mean, it doesn't <laughs> feel like super long, but it's almost two hours long, and I'd forgotten that it's that long before I started watching this most recent time. I want to go back, though, to parents again because I want to talk about Jody's parents. I love who,
3: them! I love them! Who, who are just so confused. They're so adorable. At the end, I was like, throughout the whole movie I think generally we don't particularly love jody but i do think there are these moments where she's just so normal and awkward yeah when her parents show up and she doesn't know they're gonna be there and they're like we didn't know it would be like this i just was like they're so normal and all the other parents in this movie have like plot point roles right they're extremely midwestern right
1: so at the beginning of the movie you know they're like, I don't know if she's gonna get in. her dad's like, I didn't want her to do this anyway. And then she does get in and they're like, are you sure you wanna do this? Indiana has a great dance program. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's true though, it is true. IU does have a great performance school. That's fine. But also what are, what is happening? Here? Um, but yeah, they, they are just like, are very much confused parents who have star kids And they don't know what's going on, but they're also supportive um, in as much as they can be. (laughs) So do we want to talk about favorite things then? Uh, Sure.
2: Let's do it.
1: I think one of my favorite things is, I guess, I have two. Uh, One is Ava's patchwork vest that she wears (laughs) um, later on in the movie um, when they're getting ready to go out. um, (laughs) Yes. And... I just thought that was great. And then the other one is when Ava gets into the company at the end, she's had this sort of rivalry, not rivalry, tension with Peter Gallagher throughout the movie because she doesn't play by the rules, so to speak. And she has an attitude in class. Uh, And despite the fact that he does he is annoyed by her he also recognizes that she is in fact talented so he takes her into the company and the first thing she says when he at he says she's in she says are you nuts <laughs> and i just thought that was hilarious because what a reaction to actually getting into the ballet company so yeah that was one of my favorites
2: um, my favorite thing is the the first time we meet Kathleen Donaghy or Donaghy. I don't remember her last name. She's dressed impeccably for early two thousands. Very chic. I loved that outfit. And then also the through line from Degrassi into this movie with the pastel eyeshadow that Jody wears a lot of the movie. I appreciate that. <laughs> I like the cohesion. <laughs>
0: My favorite thing, uh, other than, you know, uh, the soundtrack and well, okay. So super quick. Uh, when, so when, um, the doctor is trying to pitch himself to Maureen. He says he has impeccable hygiene, uh, which, <laughs> which is just so awkward. And the other thing is uh, it, in the moment before the reveal of Zoe Saldana in the, as, as having replaced Maureen, uh, Sergey, like there's this gratuitous speaking of like the, 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 female gaze in this film. Uh, there's this gratuitous shot of Sergei backing up and it's just his ass. Like, it is just his ass getting closer and closer <laughs> to the camera. And I was like, this seems excessive, <laughs> but also <laughs> it, it was-
2: Seems excessive. <laughs> Probably because the only really good butt in the whole, like of all the male dancers, Sergei's butt. <laughs> one
3: is when Zoe Saldana is smoking and she puts out her cigarette with uh, her toe shoe.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: which was
3: amazing.
0: Bad and then just,
3: yeah, I loved that. Uh, and just her character throughout, I just loved. Which is probably not surprising. And then just all the ass shots, like all the times that the camera was just like, here's another ass dancer's belt, dancer's belt, dancer's belt, dancer's <laughs> dan-. And like, even at the end when the two men in Cooper's piece like are bowing, they have like clearly have dancer's belts underneath their jeans or their like fitted pants. I just loved it.
0: But
1: also during the Zumba class, oh, yeah. uh, Cooper's hip
2: swiveling action. Uh, the whole was Zumba very- class is amazing. <laughs> Well, and, and, and my- his, oh, like he he chums up with a fellow bandana wearer at some point. <laughs> and then the class where these two guys with bandanas around their heads like they're karate kid looking real cool.
0: Well, and also like in that that sequence though, it reminded me of whatever the film is with John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis where they're where they are um in that class that Jamie Lee Curtis is leading, like an aerobics class. What is that film? I can't remember what the film Perfect. is. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like we're basically there air humping like and making heavy eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, but uh, but anyway, thanks for joining us here on That Bleeping Podcast. We're going to take a quick hiatus uh, and be back with season three. We'll make a, an announcement when when that is, when we're headed back. So we hope that you've enjoyed this season and we look forward to uh, talking to you more about Degrassi and other pop culture.
2: Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us again. Please be sure to find and follow us on your social media. We're on Twitter at That Bleeping Pod and Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeping Podcast. And please share us with family, friends, acquaintances, that ex that keeps sliding into your DMs again, or anyone else you think would enjoy hearing professors talk about teen television and films. Please like and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. If you really like us, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would really help us out. Shout out to our friend Chris Robley, who has allowed us to use his song Anonymous for our podcast theme song. You can find Chris at chrisrobley.com, that's spelled R-O-B-L-E-Y, or on Twitter and Instagram at chrisrobley. Our episodes are jointly recorded, edited, and produced by Tiffany Salter, Jacinta Yanders, Brendan Shaw, and me, Sonic Gabbard. I edited today's episode, and I'm so excited for y'all to listen to it. Thanks, and have a great day.